You don't understand. She loves me. She's not like that when we're alone together. How can you be sure she killed all those people? You're lying. You didn't see her. Why can't you be happy for me? I don't need your help, and I don't need your protection. She didn't love the others. She loved me. Me alone. She said so in her beautiful, beautiful voice. And now all I hear is her screaming. Screaming because of what you said. What you want to do to us. I won't let you. I'll fight you if I must. To the death. My own father, my own brother, all of you. I'd rather die than see her come to harm from your jealous blades. This is an excerpt called In Defense of Their Love, credited to Kuroda the Poet in Defense of His Binding Bride. It can be found on the 13th Age Bestiary on page 120. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Creatures, listeners, we have an episode especial for you. That's, is that French? <laughs> uh, I don't think so, but maybe. i tell you what, I did look up. Bazandara Falga. <laughs> Which I think, I think, well, according to Google, is, is German for special episode. <laughs> Because we have uh, a an episode here uh, as a Patreon request from one of our uh, our uh, German listeners and and patrons, uh, Peace Joy Pancakes, and uh, we uh, and by we I mean myself, of course, Freeman uh, Falls of Izu Eisten, uh, and my co-host James the Woven Kid. We're covering a creature that is not in Fifth Edition. Uh, but rather in a game called 13th Age. And it will be found on the best tree for that game on page 119. And we are covering the uh, Jorogumo, I believe is how you say it. Can you correct me on that, James? <laughs> no, that sounds about right. Okay. Uh, the Jorogumo. Uh, I was wondering where that German connection was going to come in because this creature is decidedly Japanese. Yes. So I was I, I was a little worried that there was going to be some like 1940s correlations there. We were going to have to cut your mic. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Freeman's lost his mind again. He's back in World War II again. Oh, God. Oh, God. The fever dreams. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, this is an interesting creature. So there's going to be a, a lot of changes-ish to this episode. So after our usual um, ad break, we'll go into... Uh, a little bit of mechanics of 13th Age and how it differs from 5e. Uh, but this creature not only doesn't exist in 5e, as far as I could tell, it doesn't exist in any edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. So that being said, there is kind of an analog to it being the Drider, but that we'll obviously cover in our Drow Suite whenever we get to that. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. I like that. So a uh, big shout out to Rob Heinzu and Jonathan Tweet, as they are creators of 13th Age, Rob Heinzu being the lead designer of 4th edition and Jonathan Tweet being the lead designer of 3rd edition Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. So you will see, we'll, we'll see a lot of similarities when we hit the mechanics, but I like it. I'm actually really intrigued, and I think this might be one of the next systems that I run. Oh, no kidding. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we're going to start here with a, a quote from the book. Uh, there's, there's a lot of lore in this bestiary. It's really awesome. Uh, weaver of lies, thief of love, collector of hearts from a coterie of hopeless, bespotted victims. Literal beating hearts. The kind you normally can't live without. <laughs> so that really accurately sums up this creature in three sentences. It's really, really neat. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this, this creature and, and what 13th age has done and how they presented them. I think it's a really cool, cool. Now I don't want to run in your parade right away, but you did misspeak one of those words and it, and I almost burst out because <laughs> you said bes bespotted, uh, instead of besotted. Oh. <laughs> so instead of being like hopelessly in love and enamored by now I'm just picturing them covered in, in like liver spots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something I do. Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> That's an easy one because you put it you've put it in rather raw, uh rather small um uh font there. Like it's really hard yeah, to see. I also that. don't think I've ever heard or read the word besotted. Besotted, before, yeah, so. fair enough. Yeah. It's not a, I think yeah, it's a little I, more I, common in, in the UK. Yeah, I had to look it up when we were doing this. <laughs> or when I was when I was writing this one. Uh, but get ready for a lot of that, listeners, because this creature is deeply rooted in Japanese folklore. Things are going to get dicey. <laughs> I specifically asked James if he wanted to cover this one because because you had done Oni and you loved it so much. Yeah, and I did. I, and I, I do love it. I love the culture. And I love the folklore. But uh, the usual disclaimer, I'm not Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> and uh, this is going to this is going to be OK at best. I feel like we'll get through it. We we've got we've got some Final Fantasy under our belts. <laughs> that counts for nothing. More you than me. <laughs> Played a little bit of Ragnarok online in my day, but uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's that has any value. We watched a handful of animes. Uh more than a handful. Yeah, more than a handful. I watch them dubbed because of, because I'm a monster. Oh, you are. You are. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll start with the physiology of this creature. They are uh, spider-like and the size of a human. The top half looks human, male or female, or in some rare cases, an elf. The bottom half has multiple small legs and a bulbous body, but they go through great lengths to hide their spider parts. They use illusion magic or clever staging or specialized hoop skirts. Uh, this is all from the bestiary. Okay. And then included in the, the physical description of these guys, like that little paragraph we get, we actually get a little mechanic uh, hint. So it is a DC 30 wisdom check to see through the disguise, but the the authors recommend you only let this out, information out through discovery and not via a flat check because it should be a moment. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, they prefer to live in civilizations where they can hunt. Um, and even without magic, the Jorogumo are powerful ma manipulators. So they'll create like a, a barrier of loyalists using non-magical means, just their their sexual prowess or their charm to win over people like a courtesan mm. or a, a courtier, I guess is probably the right word. Sure. And then they'll lure others to their doom using emotional manipulation, romantic illusion and supernatural charm. Mm. Okay. Once they, they get their hooks into these these people, they then seduce and overpower those who are sexually attracted to them. And then they lure them to the web where the Jorogumo use their razor sharp claws to magically remove their heart. The heart is then placed in a wooden uh, jar or a box designed specifically to preserve the organ. And then it is hidden away. So it's, it's not easily found. Okay, neat. You said like they remove the heart, but it continues to beat. Is that is that right, or no? Mm -hmm. Oof, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Imagine finding the so, box, <laughs> just doom, 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 inside the box. You know? Actually, be more likely to find a dozen or two dozen of these boxes uh. than just a single one. Yeah. So some of these Joroguma might have a grand purpose for these hearts, but. They're rarely accomplished because of the web of lies they spin, pun intended. Uh, they tend to find themselves exposed or trapped in a lie or what have you. Uh, and I've sent you a photo of the 13th age creature in the uh, in the Discord there. And you can see the spider legs kind of coming out from, from the bottom of her skirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. The way they're so like low to the ground. I expected the legs to like appear to be coming from like the waist-ish. But it's almost like... It's almost not so much. It's almost like they're coming from like closer to the shin. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. I'm so again. This is this is the spin Thirteenth Age has put on it. So yeah. I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. It's almost like like her torso is is serpentine and then it just ends right. in the, like it's really long and then ends in this little spider body yeah that's that's kind of what i was thinking yeah like maybe just one this long like overly elongated torso that goes down where the legs would be like humanoid legs would be and somewhere near the yeah. bottom they spread out into oh it's creepy yeah the proportions <laughs> are really weird yeah <laughs> uh so after they remove the heart of their victims they do not die they are magically kept alive Oh, so the the Jorogumo then holds onto their hearts so it can then control their mind. And these um, let's call them undead thralls are called the woven. Mm. OK, uh, they can normally be recognized by the scars on their chest from their heart removal, but they do act completely normally when the Jorogumo isn't around. 
but they become mindless thralls when they are. And they then follow their master around like a groupie or a cultist, depending on the personality of the Jorogumo. Huh. So like they act normally that they like they just hang out in their their local village again and go out the, about their normal lives. Yep. Wow. That's creepy. <laughs> and then suddenly, yeah. snap! This Jorogumo is nearby, and and they just go limp and <laughs> become a thrall. That's, yeah, exactly. My skin's crawling. <laughs> and they'll do anything to prevent the death of their master, because if the Jorogumo dies, the magic leaves, and the thrall can also die. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's recommended in the literature that the GM makes a death saving throw every five minutes. Uh, for the creature, or whatever period they think will be the most dramatic. Okay. Yeah, because like I guess I mean, does it did it say that the the magic like just just it's like removed immediately, or is that is that like an indication of it's like it, it's it's it sort of wanes over time, and that's why you're rolling them every five minutes. Uh, it it slowly wanes over time, yeah. but there isn't an exact time frame because they want this to be a story moment, and they they make that pretty clear. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, imagine like. Having an important NPC or even a PC, technically, it could could kind of be in there, and they're they're going about their normal lives, and then they discover this secret, and they get to send their their friends and allies to go destroy this thing, but then they got to retrieve the heart and get back in time to uh, to put it back in their chest. Like, whew, they have to have one hell yeah, of a local right. surgeon to make that work, <laughs> or I guess some healing magic. But <laughs> yeah, there's actually no indication that they can be saved. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, as as a GM, that's kind of your prerogative. And right. That's that's kind of the agency. It seems that thirteenth stage is putting in your hands. Yeah. But there's no mechanics for saving these people. I've never played any games high enough in a dramatic enough um, story to have ever actually used the wish spell. So I have like I, I've always had a hard time imagining. Um, you know the the bigger, more grander uses of it, but I always like when it's some, when it's some sort of crazy, impossible task is in front of me, like this, like reinserting someone's heart um, uh, after this situation. Uh, my mind always goes to like you know provide them with like one scroll of wish and hope they use it. You know in this much smaller scope of a way. You know it's like almost wasteful, but it's important to them at the same time. Right, wish spells a weird one because you don't necessarily just get one like as a wizard you can just take it as a spell you know yeah but they like they have extremely expensive components so oh yeah yeah, yeah like, it's it's cost prohibitive for sure yeah it's like the, the one of the only times you'll you know a lot of people will actually bother to use components <laughs> for spells like that <laughs> it's like yeah. ten thousand gold worth of diamonds or something You're like okay time to rob a mine <laughs> Uh, but that's it for the 13th Age lore that I've come across. I'm sure there's more stuff out there, maybe in the Bestiary 2, but I limited my research to uh, the Bestiary 1 for this episode because there's, I feel like there's enough content there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty straightforward, um, but it's very interesting. It's creepy as hell. Yeah, it really is. I, I'm, I'm like imagining walking into, having the PCs walk into a whole village that is... That is these thralls, but like they don't know it because everyone everything's normal until some something you know shows up and suddenly they become mindless thralls, and uh, they got to kill the whole village and they don't know why, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you see the prince walking down and everybody just stops hypnotized. Yeah, the players are coming up with all kinds of like reasons and and things and uh, like theories and stuff like that, but they probably never guessed this creature ever. Yeah, I don't know how pervasive this creature is in 13th age but it's uh you know it it does have a have its have like a little section in the the bestiary so we'll see cool uh but in our world it comes from japanese folklore as we said the origin story is that when a spider turns 400 years old it gains magical powers and turns into a beautiful woman hmm. once these powers are are bestowed upon the spider it becomes a type of yokai uh, which is a supernatural entity like a spirit. Mm. Um, quick correction here in episode 51, Oni, I said they were all evil spirits, whereas I have been uh, recently educated that that's not the case. Oh. Uh, yokai can be friendly or helpful, but they're it, they're more likely to be um, evil or chaotic. And like, and like, and like, as in like vindictive or just more like self-serving? Oh, I think it just spans the spectrum. Okay. I, I think... Yokai are just supposed to be okay. the the spiritual non-human entity that covers kind of everything. Sure. Okay. 
Uh, and I'm going to say a couple of sentences here that I don't quite understand, but somebody <laughs> out there will get something out of it. Sure. So the Japanese kanji translates to woman spider, though the kanji used to write it means newly entangled, newlywed woman. Oh. It has something called uh, it has something called the Jukujikan pronunciation, in which the word is related to the meaning, not the sound. Oh, okay. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means, but it sounded cool. I, right. I think the kanji directly translates to newly entangled woman, but the pronunciation um, translates to woman spider. Oh, okay. I think I think I'm following you. Like when yeah, it's like the difference of like the the meaning of the words, but like when you put it in the sentence, you know, the the sound is like it it automatically brings your brain to to one thing, but the true meaning is something else. Ish. I guess so. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure we have an English analog for this. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, but it is a yokai, but it is not a, a suchigumo, which is a race of spider-like yokai. Um. This also might be a slur. It in historical Japanese, it was a derogatory term for renegade clans, uh, suchigumo. That is, so okay. I don't know if we're allowed to say that. Oh, okay. At all, or as white people, but uh, it was a it was a really really small footnote in the research that I did. So I yeah. figured I'd you know pop up the disclaimer. We're not we're not using this in a derogatory term or a slur if it is in fact one of those things. Sure, we're just yeah. using it as as the noun of the race of the spider. My my brain kind of goes right to like uh you know the the sort of uh, dehumanizing of of you know groups of people that you don't like um, by by making them sound like uh, animals that are you know less than you know, less than lovely. So like, you know, referring to someone as a rat or a group of people as rats, merely rats that live in the gutter or something like that. Kind of like using an animal as a, as a slur or derogatory term and like, you know, applying them to, yeah, those groups of people to, to make them lesser than. Yeah. So I, that's probably what happened here. Mm. Um, you know, chaotic, you know, act in the darkness, like shadowy kind of thing. Like, right. I didn't look too deep into it, but I just wanted to, to throw up a flag in case that is not a word that we're allowed to say. And in which case, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But there are lots of different folklores about the um, the Gorojumo. But I decided to go with this one, mostly because I don't read Japanese. So I had to rely on English translated sites. And this is the only one that I saw appear more than once. Though I did take this specific account from Wikipedia because it seemed to be the most detailed and nuanced. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is a folklore tale from Joren Falls of Izu, which is an actual place in uh, the um, Shizuoka Prefecture, mm -hmm. uh, which is in uh, Chibu, a region of Honshu. Okay. Here is where the Gorojumo, mistress of the waterfall, lives. And the local legend tells of a man resting beside the water basin when the Gorojumo tied him up with webs before attempting to drag him in the water. The man cut the web and then tied it around a tree stump, which was then drug into the, the, the basin instead of him. After that, the people of the village dared never to return to the waterfall. Until one day, a visiting woodcutter tried to cut down a tree in the area and mistakenly dropped his favorite axe into the water. Oh, not your favorite axe. Right? <laughs> He was about to swim down to get it when a beautiful woman appeared and returned the axe to him. She told him not to tell anyone what he saw there, but as the days passed, his need to tell somebody, um, you know, the, the urge built. And one night during a feast, after drinking too much, he told his story. Feeling unburdened and at peace, he went to sleep but never woke up again. <laughs> so there, there are a couple of alternate versions to this story that um, that I managed to pick up as well. And the first alternate is instead of him going to sleep peacefully, he was immediately pulled outside by an unseen string and his corpse was found floating by the falls the next day. Oh, that's way creepier. Unseen string. Holy shit. Yeah. That's my favorite interpretation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. The last one is that instead of unburdening himself at the feast, he actually fell in love with the woman and visited her every day. But each day he became physically weaker. Mm. A head priest at a nearby temple suspected what was happening and went with him one day to chant a sutra. When a spider thread reached out, the priest let out a yell and caused the thread to retract. 
uh, the woodcutter still persisted against the priest's um, uh, encouraging to stop uh, and tried to gain permission for the marriage from the mountain Tengu, which in 5e would be known as a Kenku, Mm -hmm. which the Tengu then denied. The woodcutter then ran into the water basin, was immediately entangled by spider webs, and never seen again. Oof. So much more dramatic than that one. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure we'll cover the Kenku in 5e at some point. So I figured sure I, I, I should include that one. Hmm. Uh, but that's what I went with for cultural lore. There's much, much more stuff out there. There's much older stuff, and there's much more concise stuff. In fact, I grabbed... Uh, this image from the Toriyama Saikan, which is another story of the Jurogumo. Uh, this one is a traditional uh, Japanese art, and I just threw it to you in the Discord. This one will go up cool. yeah. on our uh, Instagram because it, it's uh, it's out of copyright. So we are good. Yeah, I love I love the, some of that traditional art, Japanese art, just that just the, the black on white, simple, but like so detailed. It's really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. It's yeah, it's a really beautiful. Yeah, it's hard to describe. You just have to go look at the Instagram, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> normally I describe, but like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a spider-ish thing. Oh man, but yeah, it looks like I she's fishing with other spiders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess so I should cool. mention in the cultural lore, uh, Jorogum are only females, but in Thirteenth Age they specify that they could be either gender or no right. gender because mm-hmm. why? Why would you limit yourself like? Like yeah. other companies that we cover all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Try to stay true to the, the source material. Too bad the source material is often extremely misogynistic. <laughs> yes, it is. That's, that's history and folklore for you, gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, they appear a couple of different times in pop culture that I can narrow down. A lot of time we get something like an alien or an alienoid. That's uh, this this stereotypical black widow creature that seduces and eats their um, partner. But in a specifically Ojorogumo, I could only nail down three instances, and I'm sure there's plenty more out there. Hmm. The first is from 2017. There's a video game called Nio, uh, N-I-O-H. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has a Jorogumo as a boss that has a shiny weak spot on her back. That's mm-hmm. about all I know about that. I think it was for PlayStation. Yeah, it was like a Dark Souls, uh, you know, sort of spin, not spin off, but like it was a Dark a Souls-like game, they would call it now. Okay. And, uh, but like with totally different controls and Japanese, like strong Japanese folklore setting and stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, the second one is from an anime that I haven't seen. Doro Oro, I think is how it's pronounced. Okay. Uh, there is a spoilers for this anime. <laughs> Three, two, one. There is a spider ghoul that appears in episode seven. Here is a here's a photo of her. A little more a little more classic inclined, except for the fact that in oh, the yeah. lore, as far as I could tell, it's either spider or woman. There is no hybrid. Okay. Uh, but the anime specifically notes this crew, this this character is a Joroguma. Okay. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. And the last one is obviously my favorite interpretation. It's uh, from the Hellboy animated film in 2006 called Sword <laughs> of Storms. Uh, he comes upon uh, this woman playing a a, a, a lute-type instrument, which is a hallmark of the creature in um, in Japanese lore. She made the strings from her own silk. Oh, okay, cool. These are screenshots from the movie that I own, so these will also be going up. <laughs> yeah, that first one you show there is like very, very much in in line with the description here for Thirteenth Age. Yeah, and then the second one, that's uh, like some drier shit right there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and one fun fact here: there is a class of spider uh, called the Tricon Aphila Calvada, which is also known as the Joro spider. They are large mm-hmm. and have bright colors, and in the sun, their web appears to be gold. Oh, cool. Another little... Uh, they Ooh, are not aggressive, creepy. but apparently have a very painful bite, though not life-threatening. Okay. And in the early aughts, they began to inject silkworm eggs with the genes of the Joro spider to create a more dense silk. The idea was that it could be used for sutures, bulletproof vests, uh, nets, oh, crazy. tennis rackets... Uh, though this has since fallen out of favor uh, since the late um, 2010s, mid, mid-late 2010s, in favor of uh, another spider called the Golden Orb Weaver Spider. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that Stuff like that 
you know, is, is all over pop culture. There's an episode of Elementary where somebody steer, steals this bulletproof sweater, which is made out of spider silk. It's a really neat mm. idea. Yeah, I remember hearing about that years ago about, you know, they were experimenting with with uh, with silk and stuff to for bulletproof reasons and whatnot. Uh, it's yeah. pretty extraordinary how something like that is so unbelievably strong. Yeah, the Jodo spider, they were specifically looking for a wool alternative to make more intense socks. More intense socks? <laughs> yeah, you can actually buy socks made out of spider silk, but they are very expensive, like $5,000 oh. for a pair of socks. I imagine, yeah. Because <laughs> I definitely looked into that. That's wild. Maybe when we make it big. <laughs> get, a, get us a pair of spider silk socks. Yeah. For, for, if I ever figure out what your birthday is, I'll send you a pair of Joro, Joro socks. <laughs> uh, you, you might you might have a hard time finding them. I think those are actually gold Norweaver socks, but I, I would like that. Uh, the biggest difference between cultural and 13th age is that they're not shapeshifters in... Um, in 13th age, they just have this uh, arachnoid lower, hmm. extremely lower body, whereas in, in the um, in the cultural lore that I found, they are either one or the other. There's no hybrid form, like I said. Right. The other big difference is all the flavor that 13th age has added. Um, the heart thing is a pretty big difference uh, that doesn't yeah. appear to exist in the lore at all, uh, and as well as creating the... Um, the vampire like undead thralls around them to kind of do their bidding. I I didn't find any reference to that in the folklore at all, but I could be, yeah, I could be way off base. There could be, I mean, I know for a fact there's much more out there. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of references I found that didn't translate via Google translate and some mm -hmm. that I did find that did not translate well. Yeah. If I were to make a, a pretty big leap here, it's, it's just in that, that uh, second alternate of like, the man falling in love with the woman and visiting every day. And I just like, you know, love being related to the heart. And then the fact that he kept going back despite growing physically weaker and like basically pleading for permission to marry. Like that's like, that's thrall-esque, right? You are, you are enthralled, um, whether, whether you mean to be or not. Um, so it's certainly a, a loose, loose inspiration. Uh, it looks like, but, but it works. Yeah. I actually really love the 13th age lore. And like I said, once we cover the mechanics, I think you'll know a little bit more why I'm interested in. But okay. I, I've only read the Jorogumo so far, but I, I was really, really excited to to start reading more of that bestiary just because of the level of detail that they put into those descriptions. Cool. Uh, but that brings us to the halfway point of our show. The so-called ad break. <laughs> not really an ad though is it well i mean no i mean it is is it no it's not really <laughs> i don't know drink black mescal there's your ad <laughs> it's delicious uh we are going to get a little uh gritty here because there's some stuff we need to talk about first okay first is that there are their attacks and abilities are listed in different ways if you see an r in front of it it means ranged attack and if you see a c in front of it it means close quarters in which case it does not trigger an opportunity attack Okay. I don't exactly understand how that mechanic works, mm -hmm. but it does somehow. Uh, okay. So if somebody wants to explain <laughs> how close quarters attack works to us, you, you can find us on all the socials. Mm -hmm. The other thing we need to establish is that the, all saves are flat checks unless otherwise specified. So, you know, an easy save is six plus, a normal save is 11 plus, And if it doesn't specify, it's a normal save. And if it's a hard, it's 16 plus. So that's just a flat D20. Okay. Okay, and then they have armor class and hit points, which is calculated relatively similar to fourth edition. They also have two other, um, let's call them DCs. One is physical defense, and one is mental defense. So you know, so an attack will be against their physical defense, or against their mental defense, or against their armor class. I don't a hundred percent get that, but mm -hmm. we're gonna go through a quick little exercise here to um, explain how they're calculated because it's not given in the um, in the 13th age stat blocks. They're really, really tight stat blocks, and I really appreciate them for that. Okay. So I built a character. Uh, I built a fighter whose base stats are strength 16, uh, bonus of 3, dex 13, bonus of 1, con 16, bonus of 3, intelligence 1, wisdom 8 minus 1, con 8 minus 1. So I, I did this using the point buy system, so it's not an op optimized character, so don't fucking at me about it. <laughs> But those uh, those numbers add up with like five e and whatnot. 
in the mod like the bonus versus the ability score. Yeah, the so, the, the yeah. bonus is is the same. Yeah. So the fighter also has a class uh, physical defense of ten and a class mental defense of ten. Mm-hmm. So the way you find your physical defense is it's the median of the three ability scores. So it's the median of strength, dex, and con, which is three. The median of three and one is two. Okay. Uh, median is the middle number of a set. Yeah. So your physical defense is then 10, which we get from the class, 2, which is the median of the ability scores, plus 1 per level, including first level, to give us a physical defense of 13. Gotcha. And it's the same for mental defense. The median is 0 because it's 1 and, and negative 1, uh, giving mm. us a uh, mental defense of 11. Gotcha. I'm following. Yeah. It's not difficult, but it's just different, and I like that it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Median seems like... A really strange way to rule it is median just means somewhere immediately in the center. It's not an average, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's unique, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure they've done the math to, to calculate it. Mm. We'll look at, uh, I think it's four stat blocks here. They all came from the uh, 13th Age Bestiary Volume 1. Again, I'll probably get a little more detailed as we go. Uh, as we dive into these things, but I still don't fully understand the system. So if I make any mistakes, I apologize. <laughs> Peace Joy Pancakes can, can at you. <laughs> or Jonathan Tweet, if he ever sees this. Oh, yeah. uh, the first one we're going to look at is the Spinneret Doxy. So in, in 13th Age, they give you a level, a type, a role, initiative modifier, HP, AC, PD, and MD. So Spinneret Doxy is a level three creature, and as far as I understand, that that is um, relevant to CR. So if you have a party of mm-hmm. four level three parties, they would go up against Spinneret Doxy. Okay. The type is humanoid, which is exactly the same as in fifth edition. Mm-hmm. And their uh, battlefield role is spoiler. So what that means is they they have harmful effects and they they give HP damage, so they're like cannon fodder to wear down the players. God, spoilers. <laughs> I like that. Actually, that's kind of a cool little thing there. I, was, I immediately didn't know what you're gonna, what that meant, and then you went right into it, and I was like, "Oh, I get it!" Like it's just yeah. a, such a different use of spoiler you're not used to, but they are they're meant to spoil your fun, I guess. <laughs> spoil your spells uh, and your abilities. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, they have an initiative of plus five, which I assume is just a flat d twenty plus five. And their first attack here is a melee attack because it doesn't have a prefix. It's called Bite of the Love Bug. So it is plus eight versus AC. Or it's an automatic critical hit versus an infatuated enemy. So you roll a d20, add eight, and then it's against uh, your target's AC. Right. So it's AC, not physical defense. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It immediately does 10 damage and the target is infatuated, which is saved then ends. Uh, since it doesn't say anything, I'm led to believe this is just a normal save, which is a flat D20, trying to beat 11. Mm-hmm. So infatuated appears to be a specific condition related to the uh, Toroguma, and an infatuated enemy can't attack the spinneret Doxy or her woven, spoilers, but can convince themselves that other allies of the Doxy don't, ha- don't love her properly and should be slain. They also prattle on about how their friends shouldn't attack here, her, but are too love-smitten to properly prevent it, um, in which case they won't attack their real allies. Gotcha. So it's like a, like extra intense charm or something. Yeah, so this is the mechanic that reflects their ability to um, win over regular people. Mm-hmm. Right, to like lure them into the heart removal. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, their range of attack is called Bring Me Flowers. It's plus eight versus uh, mental defense. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, wh- and it's specifically against an infatuated enemy. The target chooses okay. one. So you, like if I were to hit you with Bring Me Flowers, you choose one of the effects. You take 66 psychic damage, or as a free action, it moves next to the spinneret doxy, possibly provoking opportunity attacks. So you get to decide whether or not you're going to resist it after I hit you. If you resist, you take 66 mental damage, or you oh. don't resist, and you immediately move next to the Doxy in, in like a way to protect neat. them. Yeah, so I could be like, no, screw that. I don't want to go there. I'll, I will just risk the damage instead. Yep, exactly. But then, so does that is that I make that choice after they've succeeded the roll against my mental defense? Yes. Okay. That's really cool, actually. That's yeah. neat. I never, yeah, 
cool. they have to be an infatuated enemy. So you have to have already mm -hmm. been hit yeah. by a bite of the love bug. Right. Uh, their next ability is a close quarters ability. It's called Stop in the Name of Love. Uh, it is plus eight versus mental defense uh, for each nearby infatuated enemy. Mm -hmm. The target chooses one. So again, you choose whether or not you're going to take six D6 psychic damage by resisting or stuck, which I, I assume is a condition in 13th Age that's very similar to paralyzed. Yeah, or at least immobilized. Yeah, mobilized might be more at, accurate. at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. That's cool. Okay, I can already. I think I can already see the order operations here. Like you're risking taking damage. Like you're if if you're infatuated, you're risking taking damage. Or you're and if you don't want to take the damage, you are basically moving up to. You know, the ranged attack is moving you up to this creature, and then the close quarters attack is making you stay there. Yep. You're unable to leave that spot. So that, that's just like this this order of operations just drag you in um, and keep you there. That's really cool. Yeah, I really, really like it. And their last ability is called Give Me Your Heart. When the Doxy oh, drops boy. an enemy to zero HP or lower, she will move next to that creature and attempt to remove the target's heart. A creature must begin making last, grass, last gasp saves as she cuts their chest open. On the fourth failure, the Doxy takes the heart and the target dies. And becomes undead under her control. Ooh. Okay. If the bride is stunned or moved away from the creature and can't return to it on her turn, the creature doesn't have to make last gasp saves that turn. So um, I think it takes four rounds total for the, for the doxy to take out the heart. Um, mm -hmm. And if it gets stunned or moves away... Uh, the creature doesn't have to make the the final, we'll call it a death save that turn. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, undead is a is like that's a very specific term most of the time, um, and that was not where that's not what I thought was the case when when you were reading the lore with the heart being removed. So that kind of like I feel like that puts a damper on the whole putting the heart back in. Can you become un undead again? <laughs> I, Is that why you told me to wait? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I told you to wait because our last stat block that we're going to go over is actually a okay. stat block for the woven. Oh, okay. oh, right. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know. Neither of us know much about like the overall uh, lore of Thirteenth Age, but but More yeah, mechanics. undead is. Yeah, or, or mechanics. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, um, uh, yeah, that uh, just becoming undead is like, a, that's a big flag for me um, of uh, irreversibility <laughs> generally. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, I mm. don't, you know what, let's just jump to the woven stop block now because it's, it, it, okay. you know, we're, we're going to talk about it a bunch. So the woven isn't listed as an undead creature. It is a level four humanoid. Okay. Uh, and so I'm not sure undead is a creature type in 13th Age like it is in, okay. in other games. I think it might just be like a status effect, uh, though I don't have anything to back that up. Mm -hmm. uh, their role is a mook, which is essentially just cannon fodder or a minion. Uh, their initiative is plus six, and they have a one melee called a clumsy strike. It's plus nine versus AC, and it just does a flat seven damage. And they have one ranged attack called Why Aren't You Happy for Us? <laughs> With multiple S's. <laughs> yeah, it really, really has that. That's so good. Yeah, and that's plus eight to hit versus uh, mental defense. And it's 1d3 nearby enemies as they um, essentially goad you. <laughs> uh, the target takes five physical damage uh, as you reel against the horror of the truth. <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh so nowhere in their stat block that i found did it say undead yeah and i just i just did a quick double check on creature types in 13 age and undead are among the list as a type so okay so maybe it takes more time maybe it takes that magical ritual to make you a woven maybe yeah it, it it's like it's i mean i guess it's it is possible that there's a, a just of a an inconsistency in the writing there by mistake, um, or perhaps this um, the woven themselves go through a slower process rather than like you know in the middle of combat having your heart removed. Maybe that maybe that the quickness of of that happening turn by turn is what was it changes the uh, the outcome perhaps. But uh, okay, that's me 
grasping. <laughs> That's my last grasp. Um. <laughs> uh, the next one we'll look at is the Lethal Lothario. Uh, also fourth level humanoid, but this one is a leader, which means it has abilities that assist other allies. And its initiative is plus seven. Okay. Its melee attack is called Brutal Kiss. It is plus nine versus AC, in which case it takes the target takes ten damage. And a natural hit, which I understand is anything um, on the die rolled without the modifier. Okay. So like if your AC is 14 and I roll a 15, um, I believe that would be a natural even hit. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. The natural number rolled is like taken into consideration rather than just the total outcome. Yeah. Gotcha. Again, please correct me on that if I'm wrong. Uh, but on said natural hit, any woven can engage with the target, or sorry, any woven engaged with the target can attack it as a free action. Okay, cool. It, That's like, sorry, because uh, in two E, which we've been playing a lot of lately, um, you know, you have that ten over the the DC or AC that counts as like a a, a, a critical success, or rather increases the degree of success. Um, and that natural thing, if if we're correct on that. Uh, seems like in that same wheelhouse, right? Where it's you know the the natural number is uh, should be as uh, or is, is is has its own importance as opposed to just the total. Um, so I like that. I think it's a cool little little uh, nod to a, the the natural role. Yeah, and it seems to be um, pervasive through the few stat blocks that I've looked. Cool. All right. So this this creature, if it rolls that natural, even then it, that it allows the other woven to. To take an attack as a free action. That's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they have a close quarters attack, which is unhealthy attraction, uh, plus nine versus <laughs> MD. The nearby enemy with the fewest hit points is the target, which then takes 10 psychic damage, and the target is hampered until the end of battle or until it takes one turn as if it were confused, which I assume hampered is like encumbered, and I assume yeah. confused is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, encumbered or slowed in some some degree. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And if it's if it's a miss, uh, misses five ongoing psychic damage. So I um, I honestly have no idea what that means. <laughs> ongoing, it's probably it's probably persistent. So like bleed or something. Yeah, I, I imagine it's persistent, but I, I don't understand why why miss is there in italics. Mm. Just looking at uh, some of the other stat blocks on the side here uh, when I was looking up the creature type you know most most of those things like naturals and italics as well limited use um, the, mm. the whatever is before the colon for the result um, is all in italics so it's just probably just like a an aesthetic thing more than anything right so I guess if you miss this attack the target just takes five ongoing psychic damage yeah so like if you it's like you know yeah e even upon a failure um yeah with this attack there is uh some sort of uh downside to the your target anyway so they're either taking a big chunk of damage plus being hampered um and or confused or whatever or they're gonna just gonna take ongoing psychic damage though i imagine the ongoing there must be some limit to that otherwise technically the mist could be more powerful <laughs> yeah <laughs> if it's it going forever it might just be a save or something like that. Mm, yeah. Uh, but they also have the give me your heart ability. So we'll we'll just pass by that. Okay. The next one is the Binding Bride. Level five humanoid spoiler again with plus eight uh, initiative this time. Mm -hmm. Their first ability is also the Biting Kiss. Uh, this time it's plus 10 versus the AC and 18 damage. On a natural 16 plus, the target takes 10 ongoing poison damage. Its next ability is called Unwrapping My Gift. It is 10, plus 10 versus AC, and the target takes 18 damage. A natural even hit or a miss. Uh, the, blinding, the Binding Bride can make a Biting Kiss attack as a free action. So I wonder if a natural even hit is if, it, if you just roll their, their AC on the die. So like if they have a 13 yeah. AC, you roll a 13. Yeah, I think maybe that's it. Rather, it's not like necessarily... Uh, the exact or over, it's like exact. Yeah. You've, you've hit the target exactly. Um, hmm. Interesting. I've also noticed that there's very little rolling of damage here. We've, we've got the 66 no. psychic. There's almost there's a, none. Just a lot of flat damage, eh? Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, its first range of the attack is called Bouquet of Webs, plus 10 versus physical defense and up to two enemies in a group. The target is then hampered, which a save will end, uh, which in this case means a natural save. 
Second ranged attack is you ruined my special day, which is 10 plus 10 versus the <laughs> mental defense. Target takes 18 psychic damage each time it attacks the binding bride, which save ends. This has a limited use uh, once per battle and as a quick action. So I imagine that's a free action or a swift action. Mm. Uh, also has give me your heart. Mm-hmm. They all like to rip out the old hearts here. It's funny, so far, again, like, I mean, it seemed pretty obvious that uh, one of these would have some woven around, possibly, and maybe you're encountering all of this at a bit of a higher level, fighting groups groups of stuff. But um, um, it, it's almost looking like, in some in some cases, that um, that maybe there's some of these actual Jorogumo, like, grouped up and, and, and working together. Although the, I felt like the lore made them sound like they were a little more of a solo act, although I guess maybe I inferred that. But yeah, because you have like the lethal Lothario is a is a leader role, and so far the other ones have been spoilers, right? But that leader ability is for the woven, so it's it's that oh, it's natural even hit right. any right, woven right. engaged. Okay, uh, I mean that that's a good that's a good thing to know. I did not note that. Okay, yeah. Uh, and the last one is the Swarm Prince. So it's a level five humanoid spoiler again, plus nine initiative. So its first attack is the Palm Strike. Plus 10 versus physical damage, 10 damage, uh, sorry, plus 10 versus physical defense, 10 damage and 10 ongoing poison damage, and a miss just Oof. does 5 damage. All right. Its ranged attack is the Royal Blessing, plus 10 versus mental defense, 15 negative energy damage, and if one or more woven had been slain in this battle, return one woven to life in the location where it died. Mm-hmm. Uh, limited use the swarm prince can only use this ability when the escalation die is even don't ask me what that means Ah, <laughs> uh, no you, not, not not the escalation die <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think uh, the escalation die is uh, is in reference to initiative but I okay. have never played this system um, mm. I'm sorry <laughs> it's, I, if anything it just intrigues me escalation it sounds dangerous yeah <laughs> Its close quarters attack is called Hush My Darling. It is plus 10 versus mental defense. Uh, the nearby conscious enemy with the fewest HP. That target takes five physical dam- or five psychic damage, and the target is unconscious. Hard save ends, which is 16 plus. It also ends if the target takes 15 damage or more. This is also limited use once per battle, and the ability recharges when the Swarm Prince hits with a palm strike. Oh, okay. Neat. I do kind of like that as well. Yeah, resetting your own abilities with with another one. Yeah, really neat. Mm. Uh, and its last one is called Surrounded by Friends. Uh, the Swarm Prince gains a plus one to all defenses for each nearby woven. Each nearby woven. Whoa. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one you want ruling the town. <laughs> yeah. <The> unstoppable. <laughs> Holy crap. I think nearby probably has has a mechanic in this game, like maybe ten feet or fifteen feet. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Surely that's going to be limited in some way. <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of how, yeah. how I think it must be limited because it's also. Um, I have a plus one hundred and fifty to my defenses because yeah. of the population of this town. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a range specified in some of these close quarter attacks. Um, Mm-hmm. I mean, it 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 comes across as a range. So, like each nearby right. each nearby enemy with the fewest hit points. So, yeah, there has to be a cap on it. But I like how um, I like how literal the terms are. Like, I can you see mm. why I've kind of fell in love with this? Like the yeah, the stat yeah. blocks are just so DM friendly. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the abilities have just I mean hilarious names too. They're so flavorful. They're not they're not just like basic names. Hush, yeah. my darling. <laughs> Unhealthy attraction. That one killed me. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's really cool. And also, there's, there's no there's no um, you know the only differentiation of damage is is like you know poison or psychic. Like there's no bludgeoning, slashing, piercing being listed here, uh, and whatnot. Yeah, it's I think that's just damage. Like physical damage. Um, and here's yeah. what a stat block actually looks like in the in the manual. I won't be posting this, but just so you know. Sure. Yeah. Like it has this little little quote on the top about the creature. Then it has mm-hmm. the stuff that we went over. Then it has all of its abilities, and then it has the four physical scores at the bottom there. The four yeah. measurable Super scores. Super clean. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really really like these stat blocks. I think they're really neat. 
they're not throwing in languages known <laughs> no <laughs> or anything like that it's like they respect you as a game master <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh uh, that's good yeah cool really neat i didn't expect us to go through like five stat blocks for this one but uh uh i'm glad we did because it's it's very very interesting very interesting setup yeah so there's also another whole page under the jirogumo um that goes over them and the icons so the icons are like leaders in the 13th age world naming Mm -hmm. conventions uh what happens in towns building encounters and adventure hooks which i I didn't want to get in here due to uh, possible copyright issues sure but i'm just going to read you one of these adventure hooks because i think it's really neat uh, it's called Return to Sender. The adventurers come across a heart jar in the loot of another slain monster. It is warm to the touch. The person the heart belongs to is still alive, somehow. Will they seek out the heartless and make them whole again? Does this person want their heart back in the first place? <laughs> I love it. Why aren't you happy for me? Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, That's great. Yeah, these creatures are cool. Yeah, and I, and so is this system. Like I I understand mm. why it, why it's so popular, and I think that just the bestiaries would be a good addition to any GM's arsenal. I think I'll be cross referencing mm. like the Thirteenth Age from here on out. Like I know you do with um with Two E. I think I might be going through the Thirteenth Age once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, a I think that's cool that's a fun idea. Do. Yeah, going forward because I'm I'm always GMing for Two E Pathfinder Second Edition. I'm constantly, you know catching things you know constantly reading things and catching things so yeah i think adding 13th age to our our repertoire of cross-reference is a great idea yeah and it's it's so easy and so quick and the art is Mm. really really fun and there are just like pages and pages about each creature that they cover which is which is fantastic yeah really neat it's it's everything i want out of out of i mean go figure Heinsu and tweet gave me everything i wanted out of a 5e monster manual Who would have thunk? Too funny. Uh, So, I mean, obviously I have no homebrew. Mm. There are a lot of 5e creatures out there that are similar. But as far as I can tell, this would be a really easy creature to just just cross over. Yeah, I I think the one thing that would would be maybe the most stumbly or rather just like unfamiliar for, for people playing 5e would be the ones where like... Um, you reset your own ability to do something with a different attack um, or or the choice given to the target of something of what they want the effect to do. So do I take damage or do I obey this command? Um, and like that, you don't really see that in 5D very much. Uh, it, no. But it, it should be easily plugged in. I don't see why it wouldn't be, but it might just trip people up a bit. Let's look at the lethal Lothario because I sent the stat block to you. Mm-hmm. So to convert this, I would, you know, nix the PD and the MD. Um, mm-hmm. I leave the AC and the HP relatively the same, I think. I mean, this is a level four creature, so I might I might max it up a little bit. But Brutal Kiss, that's a plus nine versus AC, and the target takes 10 damage. Nothing you need to change mm-hmm. there. Natural yeah. even hits. Uh, any woven target, any woven engage with the target can take its action as a free action. I would just throw that in as a reaction, like just change that from a natural even hit to a reaction because gnolls have a very similar ability, gnoll leaders. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, the gnoll thing, yeah. Uh, close, unhealthy attraction, plus nine versus MD. So instead of plus nine versus MD, I would just take eight, like fifth edition does, and add that to the nine to get us, mm-hmm. I guess, 17. Right. Uh, and then, you know, an ally within 20 feet, which is a usual 5e range. And that's the save, you know, 17 save. And if it's psychic damage, you know, it's 17 whiz or intelligence save, you know, dealer's choice. Uh, Probably intelligence save um, or wisdom save because I don't see a whole lot of intelligence saves out there. But so we we got a DC 17 wisdom save, 10 psychic damage, and the target is encumbered until the end of battle or until it takes one turn as if confused. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, Yep. You know, change the miss uh, like or just let go of the miss. Uh, and then when it drops to zero hit points or lower, uh, the lethal Lothario moves next to that creature like as an immediate action in an attempt mm-hmm. to remove the creature's heart. And then the creature must begin making death saves as it cuts their chest open. So each mm-hmm. turn, the lethal Lothario gets one attack. So that's one death save at the beginning of turn, one attack. So that's two death saves right there knocked off. Right, yeah. And then at the beginning of their next turn, it's a third death save unless they've been, yeah. 
you know, uh, 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 saved or stabilized or what have you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if they fail that third one, they now become, uh, you know, just slap in a zombie stat block or a ghoul stat block. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we're done. Like that's that's how you would convert this creature to 5D. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty quick and simple, to be honest. Yeah. And like, and the give me a heart too. you can use to some degree, you could use the, the, the brain eating mechanic from the uh, a mind flare. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, where it's like you have to, it's like a, a surprisingly lower level creature for what it is. And, and like it, it, you're forced to go through a number of motions in order to achieve this instant death. Um, so uh, I might say go reference that for for converting this especially that piece of this stat block um especially and it be, especially because the way you've converted that already already makes it pretty deadly because you're getting into death saving throws like and like triggering them in a pretty quick fashion sure you got to get them down to zero hit points first but so does the eat brain um actually no sorry the eat brain doesn't it's got to go through like a, the motions of like stunning the creature and, and whatnot i think but um Anyway, uh, not dissimilar is what I'm getting at and could definitely be used for a cross-reference. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's a great use of that mechanic and a, and a great convergence. Like these, mm. if you're going to convert to 5e, I think it, I think it should be pretty easy. So it shouldn't be, shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Uh, what about you? You got anything to add to these creatures? <laughs> Not really, yeah. No, I, I, the only thing I was going to reference was that that, that similarity to Knowles and their, I think it's their battle cry, and then they can yeah. have everyone use their reaction to attack, but uh, you covered it, so that's it. I, th- I just think this is really, uh, I think they're cool creatures lore-wise, uh, mechanically, pretty neat as well, with those, uh, things that are very, very different from 5e, um, but easily added in. Yeah, I'm I'm super intrigued by the system now. I think it's really neat. Yeah, me too. Uh, if you do want specifically a 5e version of the Jirogumo, there is a 5e supplement book out there called Asian Monsters, published last year from Legendary Games. We'll have that as well as um, the 13th Age Core Rulebook and Bestiary linked in our um, our blog post. You can find that in the description below. I think it's 25 bucks for the CRB and 20 for the Bestiary, and it was totally worth the purchase on our end. Cool. Yeah. Uh, what about you guys out there? Do you listeners have a homebrew Jorogumo that you want to share with us or even uh, create one and, and have it find its way to our website or our Instagram? If you do, you can get at us at Twitter at EncounterPod, Facebook at backslash EncounterPod, Instagram at Encounter.pod, info at EncounterThis.ca for any larger files or any uh, if you want to communicate with us via email. EncounterThis.ca, you can find our backlog of uh, episodes where you can find that Oni episode where I just butchered Japanese. <laughs> a little bit more than I think I did this time around, but... Uh, it's okay, I did Kieran too, and it was, it was probably oh, all yeah. over the place. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that one. You can have a lot of fun in uh, Rakshasa as well. <laughs> yeah, Rakshasa was a bad one. Uh, but great episodes, had a lot of fun doing them both. And if you like this, uh, or you want to suggest a creature from a different system that you want to listen to us fumble through, for $10 a month on Patreon backslash EncounterPod, you can suggest a creature or us uh, from any system. This is our first one outside of 5e or 2e, so, you know, get get weird with it. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. you want to know Goldar stats from the Power Rangers TTRPG. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know you. Does that exist? (laughs) I mean, I don't know for a fact, but yes, it does. (laughs) Sounds like the sort of game you would love to design. (laughs) Uh, yeah, maybe. I honestly kind of, I kind of like, I want to do like something noir, like more noir, more more like detective mystery stuff. Um, Less Cthulhu files, Delta Green. (laughs) Yeah, definitely more Dresden files. (laughs) <laughs> and if $10 is too rich for your blood, for $5 a month you get a handwritten letter and access to our show notes. You can see how these words are actually spelled and supposedly how they're pronounced. And for $1 a month, it gets you quick and easy access to our private Discord where you can get a hold of us anytime, day or night. And we are active and always kind of around over there. If you've got any questions or anything you want to run by us or if you just want to shout at all of our fans about how wrong we are, dollar a month and you can do that. Best thing you can do for us, though, is rate and review on your platform of choice, specifically the Apple Podcast app. It helps new people find us and it, it helps increase engagement. And I think... We will see you in two weeks. Uh, I'm st- I'm still out, um, out on that. I'm not sure. I'm, I might just quit. Okay. Well, okay. W- 
you'll hear something from us around two weeks from now. <laughs> Whether it be a new episode in possibly an upcoming suite, or maybe it's just, uh, you know, a eulogy for the show. <laughs> James's eulogy, and suddenly, just on the on the back of that, finally the new podcast, Fun Facts by Freeman, uh, <laughs> launches. <laughs> and his companion show, Encounter Me. <laughs> I keep forgetting about that. <laughs> if we ever get merch, I, I want that to be like one of our first T-shirts, just like Critty on the front, and then Encounter Me across the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will talk to you soon, listeners. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Jesus.